Welcome to the Church Times podcast. This week, Dr. Josiah Idowu Fearon, the first African Secretary General of the Anglican Communion, talks to Madeleine Davies. The interview also features in this week's issue, which is out now. It also includes coverage of Greenbelt, a review of the proms, and photographer Richard Watt on 30 years of snapping finals of the Church Times Cricket Cup. The 2018 final is on Thursday, 6th of September, at the Walker Cricket Ground in Southgate, London, between Bristol and London Diocese. All are welcome. If you don't subscribe to the Church Times, check out our subscription offers at churchtimes.co.uk slash subscribe. Got some questions and I wanted to start off with um, a bit of background about you. So my understanding is that you are the son of a priest, is that right? Yes, my father was an Anglican priest and um, six sisters and one brother and I'm the sibling, I'm the youngest. Okay. Certainly, we, we, we all grew up within a Christian home, but I came to a personal faith in my second year uh, at the Nigerian Military School. I have a living faith, <laughs> yes. a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and that has been my drive. No matter how difficult it's been, I've always trusted in the Lord pulling me through. So you started training for the military, but then you changed direction. Yes. Well, as I said, in my second year, that would be 64, to give you an idea of my age. Yeah. <laughs> I came to faith in Christ. And actually, I wasn't happy with the way uh, other ranks were treating their families. Right. You know, wife beating, children crying, particularly towards the end of the month, right. when soldiers run out of salaries. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that was what actually triggered the whole thing. I felt, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well, I had uh, a privileged upbringing mm-hmm. and I felt uh, I could do something within the army. Yeah. So that was how my calling began. And mm-hmm. uh, in my final year, fifth year, I, uh, we were all to be drafted to the Defense Academy. Uh, because it was uh, during the Civil War. Uh, the rest of us remain, I think, uh, 13 of us, all from the North, who um, were to be given direct admission to the Defense Academy. And I just felt, no, I would rather be a preacher. So I was given what they called then a sympathetic discharge okay. from the Army. So I graduated, came back to the same city as a curate. But going back to the army was difficult because the then bishop, who was um, a chaplain uh, general, he he wanted me <laughs> in his diocese. So I I remained there. Okay. So that was why I didn't go back to the army. If I did, actually, probably I would have been either dead or retired by now. <laughs> <laughs> So one thing I wanted to ask you about coming to the UK is um, in Nigeria, I was looking at statistics um, and it said almost 90% of Nigerians say that religion is very important in their life. Yeah. I mean, in the UK, it's just 20% and a very shrinking percentage of people um, ascribe to a, a religion or go to church. So has that been, has it been a bit like coming to a godless country for you? What's mm. been that shift? It is different. You remember I studied here? Yeah. So uh, coming back, I wasn't shocked 
But I must say here that even though 20% of the population here go to church or profess Christ, I see more of Christ. I'm sorry, I'm not being judgmental. Probably it's because of the circle within which I operate. I see more of Christ-likeness in terms of honesty, in terms of uh, openness, accountability, and I would say love, than where, when you say 90% in Nigeria, that includes the Muslim faithfuls. Yeah. I want to be very careful because you know (laughs) you're a public person and this is going public. (laughs) To be honest, I think because of my convictions, I have found much care and love mm-hmm. from my Muslim neighbors yeah. in my country. Mm-hmm. That is the truth. Yeah. And I, I say this everywhere. So it's not, for me, it, it isn't the profession. It is a demonstration mm-hmm. of one's yeah. faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. There is too much, and this is what I have found in most countries on the continent I come from, Africa, there is profession, but the actual demonstration is not there. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to um, go on to talk about kind of Christian-Muslim relations. Um, And obviously, since you've come to the UK, there have been major terrorist attacks Mm. by extremists. Um, and that was something that you'd obviously had I'm used to it. experience. Mm, yeah. um, what What did you make of our reaction, both as a country and as a church, to to those attacks? As coming from somewhere where it had been mm. sort of part of your life. You see, um, I've um, I've known of the presence of extremists. Uh, Muslim extremists in this country Mm. for a long time because obviously I worked with Barnabas Fund uh, with the late uh, Bishop of uh, Coventry Mm. uh, Colin Bennett Mm. and we had always said look Muslims are not all terrorists Muslims are not all bad just as Christians are not all good (laughs) yeah um, however, there is a, 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 a core of uh, extremists who interpret the Quran and the Hadith their own way. Now, for me, in this country, I've, I believe the freedom of religion, the trust you uh, English people have in, in people mm-hmm. is being exploited. And we have been singing this song since the 80s (laughs) about this country. Mm. So people exploit that freedom. And so they do whatever they like. Of course, the law catches up with them. I I, I would say the reaction of the average uh, English person until very recently uh, has always been Christ-like. Yes, they disagree with uh, 
people making life uncomfortable for them. Yeah. Uh, and I believe it is because of the faith in this country. Whether secularists or atheists accept it or not, the law of this land is based on scriptures. Yeah. <laughs> that means the, the, the Bible is fundamental. Mm -hmm. So that has created a society that is transparently honest, a society that absorbs you know, people and a society that tries to say, look, this is the way we live here and we expect you to do the same. Yeah. But there, there wasn't enough caution. I mean, the, it's as if the British people let their hair down, as it were. And these group of extremists exploited it. Yeah. I was going to ask about that because I interviewed um, Munir Anis yeah. in, in Egypt mm. and I said, what do you make of the claim that love wins? And mm. he agreed with it, but he said that does, that does not mean that you become naive. Mm -hmm. And is that something that you... It's, 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 uh, I, 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 I would say that, that I would agree with, naive, uh, with uh, Munir. Mm. Uh, and you see... I think it is the nature of the uh, the English, you know, just to say, well, look, this is who we are, mm -hmm. and we expect you to live within uh, the law. But people exploit it, and it's not just Muslims. I know a lot of uh, 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 Africans, particularly from my own country, who exploit. Uh, the so-called uh, naivety of, uh, uh, of the British. So how do we go about tackling extremism if we are not to be naive? I think it's to challenge uh, the extremists. That's number one. And number two, I will say this, for the British people to take their faith seriously. Uh, by saying that, I'm not asking that you say you use the same vocabulary as a, 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 an African evangelical world. Yeah. But to say, look, I am a Christian, my dear Muslim friend, and we have our rules and regulations. I, I love you, I care. However, you have to live within uh, our, our custom and our tradition here. Yeah. It's, uh, I have discovered that when a Muslim uh, sees you taking your faith profession very seriously, he or she respects you. So I'm going to moving on to sort of talking about the communion and your role there. Mm. And I feel like something that was often leveled at um, the Church of England or Canterbury as a criticism is this claim that it is colonial somehow. <laughs> and I was thinking that in the past year, our country has been grappling a lot with its history of empire. So there have been calls to take down statues, mm. calls to give back things which actually belong to former colonies. Um, and I wondered what you make of that, in that Anglicanism is bound up with having an empire and colonies. Um, but I know that you said to the Synod how people in the Communion feel that they owe their faith to the faithful giving of Christians in the Church of England mm -hmm. over centuries. Mm -hmm. So could you just talk a bit about that difficult history with, with empire and this accusation that we still have a colonial mindset? Yeah. <clears throat> I think this guilt feeling is about time 
you will get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously, it is about time. No, thank you. You you get rid of it. Uh, this is the twenty first century. I say to my uh, African colleagues, no matter what you say about the uh, the British, at least one legacy they left behind. There are many, but one legacy they left behind is that of language. Yeah. Africans communicate today with one another. Take, for example, Nigeria. <laughs> we have 250 known languages. Yeah. I'm told there are still more. That does not include dialects. Mm -hmm. All right? Mm -hmm. We only communicate in the English language. Yeah. And those who brought this to us, they were not pagans, they were not Muslims, mm -hmm. they were Christians. Education, even though we've, uh, we've, uh, we've bastardized it, yeah. <laughs> education, yeah. governance. So uh, you need to think positive. There are those, um, mainly these are politicians, who, because they have nothing to offer to the people who elect, and I'm putting that in quotes because in most parts it's, it is selection, even in the church it is selection. They have nothing to offer to the people, so they, 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 they sort of project the backwardness of their countries to the British. Oh, you know, they deprived us of this, they are still doing it, they are still doing that. And yet, they earn so much money, they receive a lot of money for development, there is no accountability, people, the people are bribed, so they cannot call them to give an account. So, uh, there is guilt feeling on the colonial side and even on the side, that of the politicians in Africa, it's not guilt. They're only looking for excuses mm -hmm. to cover up their corrupt life. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's the way I look at it. And do you, how do you counter that accusation which sometimes comes from GAFCON or certain Americans that the communion itself or Canterbury is acting like a colonial it's kind of overlord. <laughs> well, I, I say to them, open your eyes <laughs> and uh, unblock your ears. When this primate, at least this is the only primate, I, I was close to Rowan, but hmm. he wasn't my boss. <laughs> uh, this primate, when he started, he visited all the primates. Yeah. He treats them as equals. Hmm. Archbishop Justin does not take, and I'm speaking as, at, at least I'm the closest staff to him yeah. as, general, as Secretary General. Archbishop Justin does not take any decision mm. without consulting with these primates. He does not. Yeah. Because he believes in a collective uh, uh, decision-making processes. And he sort of reminds me of... Uh, the, the early popes, it was a group leadership. That's what I see Archbishop Justin doing. In fact, sometimes I say to him, look, Your Grace, this thing should not go out. I mean, I say, no, 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 let's listen to everybody. So 
see, the Americans and the Africans, those who accuse him of being, of being a colonialist, they have an axe to grind. You've also said the biggest area of potential of the communion lies in the 70% of Anglicans who represent the middle way. Mm -hmm. um, do you still feel that or do you feel that those 70% are going to be forced to kind of take sides or do you still have faith in that via media? Because I'm a via media person, I have, I was going to say absolute, <laughs> <laughs> I have uh, confidence in the 70 hold. In fact, the number is increasing. Mm. You know why I'm saying that? Within the various parts of the provinces I have visited, you find what operates in this, in the Church of England. Mm. Take a parish, for example. I'm, I'm yet to come to a parish where every parishioner is either a liberal or uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, conservative, an evangelical, or a Lord. <clears throat> it's not possible. I've not seen a single parish where everybody is the same, and that is typical of the Anglican communion. Unfortunately, in a good part of the communion, especially from my own continent and parts of uh, other parts of global south. Apart from, say, Australia and New Zealand, mm -hmm. most of the people don't even understand. <laughs> yeah. They don't understand. So, but the average Anglican, for me, wants to live his or her life in communion with others. The average yeah. Anglican. Whether it is in the global north or in the global south. I'm sorry, these are concepts we're using. I don't buy I don't buy them, but we use them for communication. The average Anglican wants to live and work with others. Something that you've also kind of raised a concern about is whether um, African leaders in, in some cases can be kind of manipulated by Americans. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so you said there's a very strong minority conservatives who found a footing and they're kind of pumping this into them. Um, is that still a concern for you? I still have that concern, but it's not as strong as it was yeah. uh, because the uh, uh, more of the African leaders are beginning to read between the lines. And this again is from my experience uh, in this office. Uh, a good number, more of the Af Af African bishops and archbishops are beginning to say, hey, look, look, hang on, I'm elected to serve my people. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, the needs of my people come first. Yeah. Yeah. So you um, say in the past, um, when you were addressing um, kind of Western churches who were considering changing their um, canons on marriage, yeah. um, that they need to understand that because we're in communion with them, that can threaten other people's witness, um, especially kind of in Muslim contexts or places where the cultural sensibilities about sexuality are different. Mm. So um, can you say a bit more? I, I think sometimes people don't quite understand um, what that means. So, you know, how could a decision in America or Canada, how does that play out in these countries that you're talking about? Why does it present a risk for them? I'll 
let me give again uh, an, an example from my experience. The first diocese I pastored was Sokoto, which is the heart of Islam. The Sultan lives there. When Iraq was invaded by the Allied forces, I was the bishop of Sokoto. I am not making this story up. My cathedral was attacked. So I went to the Sultan, an old man then, and uh, I said, Your Eminence, I'm an Anglican, a Nigerian. Come and see my cathedral. He said, come. So both of us walked from his sitting room to the main gate and we saw a huge number of young people, extremists, insulting him because they said he takes part, he's in business with Jews and Christians. Yeah. Yes. That same day. Mm. So he said, what do you want me to do? <laughs> when things happen in the West, Christians are attacked. And I've experienced this as a bishop. Mm. Yeah. Now, that's what we are talking about. And it makes life very difficult. I don't accept, I don't believe, I don't believe in it. I don't accept it, but it is the reality we face. Yeah. Uh, for me, that is more appropriate than saying it is negating, it is affecting our corporate, our witness. No, yeah. I don't. I've never bought into uh, that uh, reason. No, for me, but it exposes the Christian mm. to attacks and what have you outside because the West is seen as Christian and because we are Christians uh, they cannot come and fight you here they fight us over there mm -hmm. yeah. that's a fact and, and you said um, to Arsenal you know you may need to show self-restraint or patience of, of a painful kind in, in order to kind of keep the communion healthy. Um, do you understand why some people who would like to have their relationship blessed or get married, can you understand why that can be a difficult message to hear that they might need to show that restraint in order to keep the community healthy? Yeah. Well, you see, I've been, <laughs> I was looking at um, John 15 for, because I'm preaching at uh, the 20th anniversary of uh, uh, the Diocese of uh, Province of Hong Kong. Yeah. And I've been meditating on this idea of Christ saying, Abide in me as I am in the Father. Mm. The whole concept of love. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Mm. People make the mistake of saying commandment. No, it's in the plural. So, um, for me, there are many things I would love to do. For example, you may, you may, now I say, because it may be your headline and everybody <laughs> wants to read it. There are many things I would want to do as a Christian, but I cannot because of my love for Jesus Christ, my love 
for God the Father. So I am uh, restrained by this love. What I have found in the West, uh, I don't see much of that here, but across the ocean in America, you know, Christianity has become tailor-made. You know, people—it's it's the ease, you know, the the the, um, the comfort of the of the the person, not what what following Christ really demands. That is, uh, people talk about love. You know, they preach love, 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 but love is sacrificial. Love is sacrificial. Um, what I wanted to say is this, you see, the, uh, in Kaduna Diocese, I know of many, many believers, committed Christians, who have not been blessed with children, and they've been told, well, you can't have, your wife cannot have children. And I know of many who say, well, I cannot take another wife. You have pressure from the families, I cannot take another wife because I am a Christian. I'm just giving that as an example. So, you know, uh, you cannot belong to Christ and if you indeed really love him without making sacrifices. Personally, and, uh, and I think this has come as a result of my conviction as a believer and what I have heard. I have no problem with somebody who is struggling with his or her sexuality. No, I don't. I don't. But there are sacrifices to be made. You've been a very um, vocal critic of, of corruption. Um, and the 2016 communique from the primates described it as a deep evil. Um, is there... To what extent is corruption present in the communion and what steps are you taking to address it? I think one basic thing we need to uh, talk about vis-a-vis -vis the communion is that we are decentralized yeah. from this office. We cannot tell any province what to do. However, when the instruments meet, like the primates meeting, and the Anglican Consultative Council, of course, Lambeth Conference. We can debate these things yeah. and come up with recommendations, yeah. but they are just recommendations. Yeah. That they, 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 you cannot, they have no legal uh, force, you cannot. Uh, for corruption, I can assure you that uh, we talk about it, we encourage uh, primates to uh, hold workshops mm -hmm. and to promote transparency and accountability in the church, which is very hard, especially in many parts of Africa. And I can also say that for Lambeth 2020, corruption and ethnicity are on board. Because we have heard, we've been to, uh, uh, we've had, the Archbishop has had meetings with uh, primates from Africa and they brought it up in corruption okay, <laughs> and great. ethnicity so okay. it's going to be on board. So my, my final questions are um, 
kind of about you personally and I wondered um, in an average year how much are you travelling ah. so how much are you t- spending in an aeroplane <laughs> I think on the average I spend 165 days, days outside the country yeah. what's uh, what's um, limiting me now is uh, tax okay. I can't go beyond 180 days that is a lot of travelling British you count your pennies <laughs> Do you find it difficult to be consistent with different groups because you're obviously under pressure in the countries you go to yeah. to say something to reassure them? So how do you ensure that you are consistent in your messages and you're not tailoring it too yeah. much? So it's... Mm. See, the thing is, uh, people would take from whatever one says what they want to take out of it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, if I'm to describe myself... I would say I'm at the center, I'm a center right, which means I can go with the right, I can go with the left, yeah. without changing my own convictions. Mm-hmm. However, as Secretary General, my opinions don't count. <laughs> no, that is the truth. My opinions don't count. Mm-hmm. I just present the position of the communion. I have been invited by evangelical provinces. I mean, the good news from Melanesia, the mm. province of Melanesia, yeah. the primate invited me because he wanted to relaunch the decade of evangelism and renewal. It yeah. was fantastic. I felt I was back in my heydays as, a, <laughs> as an evangelist. I'm an evangelist. I'm, I mean, I found myself even making an altar call. <laughs> really? Yeah. That, that province they are, yeah. you know, up. And we've had Provinces also inviting uh, John Kafuanka, who is a director for mission. Yes. Yeah. So exciting things are happening. And yeah. people do this because they know what we believe in. And I've been invited to provinces that are not uh, uh, on the right. Yeah. I was in Wales. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I was in Wales. Yeah. And um, so... Uh, I try as much as possible to just be myself and I, I'm, I'm very fortunate with uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury because they know where he stands yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm really, I'm very fortunate. I think I'm the most fortunate uh, Secretary General, I'm the seventh, I'm the yeah. most fortunate. Do yeah. you, is it, I spoke to one bishop who was in a very divided province mm. and I asked him is it does it take its toll on you? And he was very honest and said, it can be very lonely, mm. you're trying to bridge things and it's it can take it out of you. Yeah. And when you were first interviewed, um, you were described as this bridge builder. Mm. And I wondered if it sometimes takes its toll on you trying to be this yeah. bridge. Especially when you see primates and bishops who know what the true situation is. Yeah. And then they pretend ignorance. Yeah, that's that's hurting. Yeah. I find that very hurting, mm-hmm. and I see that uh, a lot. Yeah, yeah it's hurting. Um, I wanted to ask what you like most about the UK, hmm. and what you miss most about Nigeria. Even though I know you you go back quite a lot. Not a lot. <laughs> In three years, I think I've been back. No, this is my fourth year now. Yeah. I think I've been back about only six or five times okay. yeah the, the, i mean I'm, I'm busy doing other things <laughs> what do i like about the uk i like the freedom 
uh, which goes with responsibilities. I like that. I like the the spirit of accepting people uh, for who they are. I like that, not uh, sort of imposing uh, on others. I like that. What do I miss? To be honest with you, this will shock you. I miss my Muslim colleagues. That is the truth. Yeah, and I miss my diocese. I don't miss the Church of Nigeria. I miss Kaduna Diocese yeah. because we were a family. I, I we had a superb team. Very, I mean, you pick anybody from most parts of the diocese they can tell you about what is happening in the Church of England, about tech, about Australia, because I made them to sort of think globally. I miss that. Finally, so looking back to coming to faith as a teenager, mm. um, how has your faith changed or evolved since then and how do you kind of nurture it here in London? My faith has grown to the point of my being convinced about the special calling I believe the Lord gave to me, which is to help the Muslim. Yeah, I, the whole thing came came to a complete circle in Adaram. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, in my uh, second year as a student and uh, doing my master's in Birmingham. I have, n- the Lord has made, up, made available to me opportunities to uh, nurture my commitment to uh, helping the Muslim to find Christ by giving me good friends uh, from the Muslim side, some from the Christian side, but I've had more from the Muslim side. And that's what actually informed my applying for this job. Because I felt, I felt, and that will be the second time the Lord will speak to me. I felt the Lord was speaking to my spirit, saying, look, you've spent all these years serving me and helping the Muslim to find me. Your family needs you. And I, I didn't quite understand it. I thought and thought, so, oh, my family, yeah, the communion is divided. Mm. That's why I applied for this job, to continue to be a bridge builder. And I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better partner than the Archbishop of Canterbury because he's been involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more. The music for this podcast was provided by Sought After Sounds. Tune in next Friday for the next episode.